The Church in Antioch. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. May God bless the reading of this word. I'd like to now invite Pastor Jeff, who will share on today's message titled, Bridging Cultures to Build a Family in Christ. Morning. Last week, we, uh, we kicked off a new sermon series and that we're actually going to be continuing this morning. This is us discovering our Crossbridge DNA. And last week, if you remember, if you were here, we, we started, uh, before we started looking at who we are and what we do as Crossbridge, we began first with God. And we looked at how the God that we worship is a missionary God. That the entire story of scripture is a story about him coming to rescue and redeem his creation and his people. That he's not just this impersonal God that created the world and then left it to spin on its own. Now it's not just who God is and what he does. Our God is a missionary God, but he's also a God who involves us, includes us, invites us to participate with him, to join him in his plan. And so we saw this uh, across the wide breadth of Scripture. Beginning with Abraham, we saw this in, in his uh, in relationship, in his covenant with Abraham, that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. We saw this later on in his relationship with Israel, that they would be a, a light to the Gentiles. And we saw this in the New Testament, in Jesus, who gives us the great commission to make disciples. And then the, the church, the, the formation of the church, for his mission, for God's mission. And so the question for every church, including ours, is how do we uniquely and specifically obey the Great Commission? And what does that look like for us as Crossbridge, given our, our unique context, our distinctives, and, and who we are? Or as we said last week, you know, what is our great permission for the Great Commission? Back in uh, September uh, 2015, if you can imagine, that was seven years ago. Now, our leadership at the time began kind of laying some of the groundwork to some of these questions. Right? You know, who are we? What is our identity? What, what are we about? What do we do? And, and one of the messages, one of our uh, leaders at the time recalled how if people searched for us on Google, the English ministry page would be buried underneath a lot of other ministry pages. And you wouldn't even show up on the first page of results. And I think a lot of us don't click on page two on the Google search results. Right, so the point that he was making is that it, it's kind of hard for people to find us. 
And then our, our former pastor shared about the, the challenges, the awkwardness maybe of, of welcoming people in the pulpit saying, you know, we welcome you to the Chinese Bible Church of Greater Boston, which is true, but he made the point, well, not everyone was Chinese, himself included. And, and that's still true today. You know, even if we think about the word Chinese, like do we only mean East Asian? Like those of us from China and Taiwan and Hong Kong and Korea, but you know, there's some of us from Southeast Asia or, or people who grew up in, in multiple cultures in different countries moving around, Singapore and Indonesia. And so he, he posited or wondered, well, how about we say we welcome you to CBCGB? But that wasn't ideal either because, you know, say CBCGB three times fast or just say it once. Because I think stumbling over it now is like a rite of passage to become members here. And so if you've, you've come here, you still feel like you're new, but you fumbled over it, we welcome you. And you're part of our church now. Like every time I'm on the phone now, I'm making some purchase for the church, and they ask me for my church email, and i got to spell it out. Right? C for Charlie, B for Bravo, C for Charlie. And I've had like 30 years of experience, and I still kind of get mixed up on what letter's next. And so a year later, in 2016, the English ministry of Chinese Bible Church of Greater Boston, which is a, a mouthful, we rebranded, right? We rebranded as Crossbridge. A new name, new logo, new colors, new website. Now, we were still part of this larger church with multiple congregations, multiple generations, multiple cultures, multiple campuses, because we thought there was something special about that. And I think some of you feel that way, too. But in addition to that, we, we now had this distinct and unique identity that helped us to grow and mature and helped us start thinking about how we relate to others. And a lot has happened since then, right? Seven years ago, right? So we've had, you know, pastors retire and, and former leaders move to, to become missionaries uh, overseas, and that's awesome. And we also had a pandemic. Just a lot and a lot of transitions and changes, and since I've been back, I have felt this deep need for us as a congregation to kind of remember, who are we? What are we called to do? Who are we in light of who God is? What are we about? What, what does the word crossbridge mean? Before we rebranded, you know, people had shared, leaders had shared how it was hard enough to invite others to church without Worrying about or trying to figure out how we introduce ourselves or figure out what we call ourselves. And I, I've been in this position before when I was in college. And, do I, you know, do I say, you know, hey, I go to the Chinese Bible Church of Greater Boston. But don't worry, we speak English here. We worship in English. And if you close your eyes, you wouldn't know the difference. Now, on the flip side, a few months ago, I was having lunch with one of our former Crossbridge elders. And as we were chatting about church and faith and praying together, it caught the attention of a mom and a daughter sitting at a table near us. And so she began asking us about where we go and what we're about. And I said, oh, you know, we're part of Crossbridge, we're part of this larger church, and we're in Lexington, uh, off of the intersection of 95 and Route 2. And I didn't have to say anything about speaking English or anything. But then a, th a thought entered my mind. I thought, what happens when she shows up? And then I got in my own head, and I probably started digging myself into a deeper hole because now I'm trying to prophylactically 
manage expectations and explain the intricacies of being in a, a congregation like ours and how special it is and all that stuff and, and doing the pastor thing and giving a really long answer that no one asks for. What was missing in that moment, I felt like, at least for me, was, wasn't the name. You know, we had that. But it also wasn't a treatise on, on our identity. What was missing, at least what I felt like I needed, was a clear and a succinct mission right, that could be expanded on if needed, if they, if they asked more to ask me to elaborate. But, but that put the focus and the conversation on, on what do we do here at Crossbridge and, and what are we becoming together corporately as a church or as a congregation, like more than a name, more than a logo, more than uh, colors and branding colors and all that stuff, right? And more than our location, more than what we look like. But to say in eight words what we could say in eight pages if we wanted to, to elaborate more about who we are and what we're about. You know, it was to put the focus back onto our very purpose as the church and then to invite others to be a part of that. You know, either as recipients or as participants, to engage with that. And, and so if you might remember last week, we talked about, we quoted from Christopher Wright, and he said that the mission, the mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. And last week, we introduced this vision frame. And so for some of you who are here, remember I brought that puzzle of Yin and myself and we talked about, well, how do we assemble? How do we put together a puzzle? Well, we begin with the edges, right? And that the edges give shape and structure to help us to see the picture, the puzzle inside. And so before we start talking about a vision or about the picture inside or about the, this question of where God is leading Crossbridge, the frame is there to, to kind of help us to, to see that picture. Four sides that get at our DNA. And this morning, we're looking at the first side, the mission. It's answering the question, what are we doing? And this is question zero. Right? What are we trying to accomplish? We, we know it's the Great Commission. It's to make disciples. It's to make God's name known. It's to, to help people see how awesome Jesus is. Now, every church is trying to accomplish that, Right? And so, again, we ask, what are we trying to accomplish specifically? And so, you know, I believe that the first side, this first side of the frame is the most important. Our mission is our heartbeat. It's a sign of life in Crossbridge when we join God in his mission. It's, it's a pulse, right? It gives us the steady rhythm and the pulse of our life together as a community, as a family in Christ. It helps to inform every other thing that we do, our time together, how we, what we do in our groups, which ministries we choose to do and, and not to do, how we give our money. You know, our mission is also not just a heartbeat, but a compass. It guides us. It keeps us focused. It helps us to, to move forward particularly as the world around us changes and the environment, the context that we live changes rapidly, so much so that it feels like we're living in a world that is increasingly volatile or uncertain or complex or ambiguous. You know, 
Our mission helps us as we head into uncharted waters. And without this mission, it almost feels sometimes as if we're on a ministry treadmill, right? Running aimlessly in place like we're moving a lot, but we're not actually moving anywhere. Without a, without a mission, it can sometimes feel like it's hard to know what we should or shouldn't do as a church because, you know, many of us are, are extremely gifted because of God. We've been blessed with many things. And so there's so many things that we can do and that we're able to do. But what's the one thing that we must do? And how does that inform everything else and is supported by everything else? Right? If we're not clear on our mission, what happens sometimes, it becomes like a free-for-all on what should or shouldn't be done. Right? It's not that one thing is bad and another thing is good. It's, there's a lot of good things. But then how do we decide? And it becomes like the, the how of doing something displaces the why in the hearts of the people. And so we'll spend more time making decisions based off of logistics rather than on purpose. Without a mission, we're stuck in a roundabout. There's a lot of roundabouts or rotaries or one of those two things here in Massachusetts. And maybe some of you can relate, and if not, then you can laugh at me. But I've driven in a couple, and there's been times where I've missed the exit. And now I have to do a full circle. And then there's been times where I'm tired or hangry or zoned out, and I miss it again. And at that point, I'm so frustrated, exasperated, and out of spite, I'm just like, I'm just going to keep driving around in circles. And then it's just this ridiculous sight. But thank God, because all the other cars are moving past, so they don't really know that I'm doing this. But I'm just moving a lot, but I'm not actually moving anywhere. And so this first side of our frame is important for us. The mission, what are we doing? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote this, that the church is only the church when it exists for others. And so we talked about last week that our Crossbridge Leadership Corps had commissioned this task force, and we'd been meeting for about, I don't know, six to nine months or so. And one of the things that we were trying to do was to clarify and articulate exactly how do we make disciples? How does Crossbridge glorify God? Why, why do so many people, why, do, why did some of you this morning drive by so many other good and gospel-centered churches to come here? And I'm glad that you did, but why? And so we, we shared stories, we talked to people uh, about what it was like to be part of Crossbridge, about our unique context as one congregation in this larger church. And, and some of the th- these things are reflected not just in our mission statement, but in the, the different parts of this frame in our core values, which we're going to be hitting on starting next week. And so eventually we arrived at uh, this mission statement, bridging cultures to build a family in Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, if you, have, you can grab a pew Bible in front of you or use, a, use your phone, because you know, we're scripture-driven. That's our second core value. We're, we're driven to scripture and we're driven by scripture because we care about what God says to us. And so we're going to look at a couple passages and we're going to break down this mission statement. And to help us understand first, you know, what, what, is, what does some of this look like or mean for the early church and the early Christians? And then, well, what does it look like for us as Crossbridge? So, the first part of our mission, bridging cultures. There's many cultures that could apply here, right? When we talk about the way that we do things, right? There's 
suburban culture, there's work culture, there's Boston culture, there's Boston sports culture, there's Christian culture. So many different things. But I think the three things of three kinds of culture that we as Crossbridge are uniquely situated to bridge. The three that we're most actually talking about here in our mission statement are, are these three things. Ethnic culture, for sure. Generational culture. And secular culture. So in our, in our passage this morning, we are looking at the church in Antioch, right? This was the church in Antioch where those who followed Jesus Christ as his disciples were first called Christians. But the church in Antioch also kind of came about because of bridges that were being built. Bridges between cultures. And so if we were to kind of go back a few chapters and see how this played out in Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so what we see here is you have two groups of people, right? Two groups of people who follow Jesus. You have the Hebrews, the, uh, the Jew, Jewish people living in Palestine. Right? Culturally, they, they speak Aramaic primarily, they attended the synagogues, but they, they believed in the good news of Jesus Christ. And then you had the Hellenists. Like these were Jewish people, but Greek-speaking Jews, who lived not in Palestine, but in the diaspora. They lived outside of Palestine. And, and culturally, they maybe identified a little bit more with the surrounding culture, the Hellenistic culture. Now, for some reason, we, we, what we see here, there's some Greek-speaking Jewish widows that are being, who are in need but are neglected. And so what do they do? These apostles, they pick seven men, these deacons, from among that group, the Hellenists, to address that need. And so this was good. It worked out. Acts 6-5. What they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man of full faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and, and a bunch of other people. And in this list of names, one of them shouldn't be unfamiliar to us. Stephen, it's the same Stephen that gets mentioned in our passage. He serves, then what happens is he gets seized, he gets stoned. And there standing at his execution was Saul. In 8.1, it says, Saul approved of his execution. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so this is what gets referenced in verse 19 of Acts 11 today. The early followers of Jesus were scattered. They're sent out, not by choice necessarily, but God is going to use this as an opportunity to build bridges, to grow his church. So, Acts 11 now. Now those who were scattered, right, referencing chapter 8, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, chapter 6, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord." So it can kind of be hard to visualize what's happening here. And so um, if you can look at the map behind me, hopefully you can kind of see. Like we're going to start with a church in Jerusalem, which is down below. You can see a circle there. And in Palestine, right, this is what's happening here. The apostles there, the, the church is growing. And now these Palestinian Jews scatter and they travel to places like Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And you can see from the map that we're not necessarily in, in Palestine anymore, in Israel. 
And these Palestinian Jews, it says, they, they spoke the word to no one except Jewish people. So meaning that they brought the gospel, they shared about Jesus with the Hellenists, the, the, the diaspora Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews. Jewish people who identify culturally, not just as Jewish people, but also with Hellenism and the Greco-Roman culture. And, and then look what happens. You know, some of them who heard the word and believed men of Cyprus and Cyrene, now they travel to Antioch, and they begin speaking to the Hellenists. And there, it's the same term, but different meaning. We're not talking about Greek-speaking Jews, but Greek-speaking Gentiles. And God was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And so what's happening here as the, the narrative unfolds, as the author of Acts wants us to see, is, is these incremental bridges are being built. right? One degree at a time, one step at a time. From the Palestinian Jews to the Diaspora Jews who spoke Greek, and from these Greek-speaking Jews to Greek-speaking Gentiles, cultures are being bridged. A family in Christ is being built, and the church is growing. Now, ethnic culture wasn't the only thing that was being bridged in the early church. We see instances of people from different generations coming alongside to worship together and to walk together. In Acts 20, we read of this account. On the first day of the week, it's a worship service just like this morning, but they were doing it at a different time. And when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man, a youth named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up death dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. When Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. What's the point of this passage? Is it, you know, if we want to reach the next generation, Remember that lawn sermons can kill you? <laughs> and so if we were to go in that direction, maybe there's like a double application where to pastors like myself and Pat, and it's like, don't preach so long. And then to the youth, to you guys, don't sleep or else. <laughs> or at least if you're going to nod off, it's fine. Just don't sit by a window or on the ledge up there. You know, I don't think that's what the passage is about, right? But... This short account we, we see is, is situated between Paul's travel logs, right? It's just like kind of detailing all his travel plans, all the places that he's going. In the middle of it, there's a pause. We get a glimpse at this worship service where Paul stops and he preaches and he cares for this young man, this youth, who's there with everyone else. So ethnic culture, generational culture, secular culture. Again, in Acts Right, Paul now, we look, is standing in Athens, and he sees that the, the city is full of idols, and his spirit is troubled. And so he begins to talk to the people there, and what's awesome is he's, he's building a bridge. Different one from before, but he sees all these idols and these objects of worship, and he finds an altar that says, to the unknown God. Right, these people really wanted to cover their bases. And so Paul is taking that, and he's contextualizing the gospel, and he's using all this to kind of point them to Jesus. 
He says to them in Acts 17, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. And what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And later on, a few verses later, he even quotes from one of their own teachers. They're one of their own poets. Because Paul, he understood the secular culture that he was in, of the people that was around him. He grew up in that environment. He understood he got it. And now he's interacting with the way that they think, appealing to their values, to their own Greek philosophers and poets, and showing them how it's going to point to the gospel, to Jesus. So bridging cultures. You know, this is what we do kind of already at Crossridge, and hopefully we continue to do and do even better as we faithfully follow God together. Right? We are bridge builders. Because of who we are and our experiences, our backgrounds, like many of us have been doing this since we were born. Some of us have been doing it since we started dating or started uh, or got married. And other, others of us have been doing it because we moved from one place to another, from one country to another, or one state to another. Maybe for some of you, all of the above apply. Because of this, we can be a bridge to those who don't know Jesus, but find themselves in situations or experiences that we totally get. Because right? we've been there. We know exactly what they're talking about. Like we, we make that eye contact, and we're like, if you know, you know. And that is my feeble, outdated attempt to bridge generational culture, which clearly did not connect. <laughs> I still have much to learn, right? But the difference, though, is the gospel. Not only are we able to have an appreciation for different cultures and perspectives and nuances, because we grew up around that or we know that or we just have an appreciation for that, but we can see how the gospel speaks into those very situations and experiences, our relationships, our marriages, our friendships, and all the transitions that we're in, all the, the things that we're going through. And by being a bridge to people, we're not just creating connections or forming friendships. We're helping them to see Jesus in all of it. Right? It's not just ethnic culture. It's cross, being cross-generational too, right? That's, I think that's something special about being here at Crossbridge. We serve as a, as a bridge to, to the children and youth. We have had many counselors over the years for ICF, for college fellowship, and for youth, and for volunteering for children's ministry that have poured time and energy into bringing the gospel to the youngest of us. And even within Crossbridge, I know many of you, myself included, have, have learned from or been discipled by those older than us who have walked a little bit further down than, than we have. And before the pandemic, some of the families, some of you guys, I remember, used to go to Burlington Mall uh, every Tuesday because there was free Chick-fil-A kids' meals. And it was a time to just, I guess, take a break from cooking. And before Yin and I had Titus, you know, Tuesday would be our date night. And so we would go hang out with the families. And we would, before we would go and watch a movie at AMC or something. Right? So we would hear from you and learn from you. And then you would watch us leave and live vicariously through us, as one of you had mentioned to us. Right? And now we have a kid and, and now it's switched. 
But again, we remember that the church is only the church when it exists for others. We're not just bridging cultures among ourselves, and not even just among CBCGB, but we're reaching out. You know, many of us came to Boston for education or maybe a job or to get another degree. We need to continue to be students of the culture that we're living in so that we can be a bridge, so that we can bring the gospel. And maybe it's a little bit harder to do that now with working remotely, but on the flip side, that's opened up a lot of opportunities, I think. It's freed us to have more flexibility in our schedules, perhaps, Maybe take on new hobbies, go rock climbing, take our kids to the playground. There's new spaces now, hopefully, where that have opened up to us. And in those spaces, we can be a bridge. What are we doing when we bridge cultures? I mean, that's the first part uh, of the mission statement. What's the next? Bridging cultures to build. We're not just bridging for the purpose of creating connection or forming friendships. There's a greater thing at work here, a greater purpose. And not a a passive process, but an active one, right? We're not just kind of sitting here, going about our emotions, waiting for something to happen. We're in this together, rolling up our sleeves, and we do it individually, and we do it corporately. And so we take our metaphorical hammers and nails, and we're building with Jesus as a foundation, We're building with the gospel. For what end? Building bridges, yes, but as we bridge cultures, it's to build a family in Christ. In Matthew, Jesus talks about this new family. It's radical here. Matthew 12, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my uh, sister and my mother. The family that we're talking about here in our mission statement, it can include our immediate biological family. Not all of them are, are Christian, but what we're really driving at is this one large spiritual family in Christ. As we talk to people, as I talk to people, family was one of the words that came up. When people describe the, the types of relationships that they formed here in Crossbridge, you know, we're a family. We may not be biologically related, but we're together, and hopefully together because of Jesus. And so what does that actually mean, to be a family in Christ? It means these tight-knit relationships, for sure, that, that get formed during our time here. We're relationships where maybe our biological family is, is not around, not in the Boston area, but you know you have a spiritual family here. They're there to walk with you, to worship with you, to pray with you, to grieve with you, to rejoice with you, and even to drive you to the airport at 5 a.m. The most important thing to remember is what's holding us together. Jesus is the glue. Right? We're not a family that is all blood-related. We're also not a family like the family in the Fast and Furious movies. Right? With Vin Diesel, like, we're a family. Because yes, like, they're a family. They have their barbecues. Like, we have our barbecues, like, one next week. They ride or die together. But the glue that holds them together is not Jesus. It's being Fast and Furious and jumping out of cars and going into outer space and whatnot. But when people look at us, 
when they look at Crossbridge, they ought to be thinking, hopefully, like, why are they together if not for Jesus? And admittedly, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit for why people might think we're together. Right? Oh, it's because we like church lunch. Or it's because we like free kids' meals. Or it's because a lot of us are uh, doctors or engineers or teachers. And so it's easy to group up around that. And that's not a bad thing, for sure. Let's, let's be clear about that. But that hopefully isn't the only thing or the ultimate thing. So how do we show that? Well, here's one way, right? If we're, if we're building a family in Christ and we are that family, it means that when conflict arises among ourselves, when the thing that threatens to tear us apart, what do we do? What is our response? Hopefully it's this, that we can't just give up on one another because of Jesus, because of the grace that he's shown us. Because that would be the easy thing to do, right? To cut ties, to check grace at the door and just be like, I'm done. I'm going to move on. But when we push through and we're willing to let the gospel impact our own relationships, just even starting amongst ourselves, then we can be a bridge. It's a powerful witness to those around us. Bridging cultures to build a family in Christ. You know, my, my hope is that this isn't just a one-liner that we put on a bumper sticker. It's not just a thing that we preach on once or once a year, and then we forget about it. Right? To some extent, this is, this is already kind of what we already do. It's part of our DNA. We're just kind of putting more words to it or less words or, and being more clear about it. It's part of who we are and what we do. And, and what that means for us, hopefully, is that it's going to have bring us focus. It's going to help us to be more missional, to be more accountable. It's going to help to align all the things that we could do, our ministries, our small groups, how we spend our time on our own and, and together. This state, mission statement is, is, again, not just what we do individually, but corporately too. And not just as a wider circle, this big circle of, uh, on Sundays, but in our groups, in our pods that we meet regularly with. And, and so I would invite you, encourage you, as I did last week, to consider how you can begin engaging with this mission statement. Maybe you already have. And again, if you're new, or you, maybe you still feel like you're new, and that's okay, and you're still getting to know people here and figuring out the DNA, you know, consider how God might be speaking to you through this mission, and whether to engage with it, or maybe you just have an appreciation for it, you want to be a part of it. Let us together begin bridging cultures to build a family in Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give thanks first and foremost because of who you are, that you are a missionary God, that you are a God who loves your creation, your people, this world, and that you have brought us together as CBCGB and as Crossbridge and help us to live in light of the unique ways in which you have formed us and brought us together so that we can bridge more, build more bridges and build this family in Christ for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.